welcome back to the Dr. Body Mind Soul podcast. My name is Dr. Jude, and this is a podcast which explores how we can integrate modern medicine and alternative therapies to help you get the holistic health care that you deserve. I will be speaking to healers and seekers, researchers and authors who will share their experiences and the evidence to help guide us all to holistic health. Let's do this. Dr. Jenna Bruff is a perinatal clinical psychologist, hypnobirth practitioner, and trauma-informed educator who is dedicated to serving women wherever they are on their journey through parenthood. Whether you are undergoing fertility treatment, have experienced loss, gone through a traumatic birth, or adapting to your new life, Dr. Jenna wants to support your psychological and emotional well-being because she experienced firsthand the lack of such services when she became a new mother and has now decided to help others navigate through this what can be tumultuous time. Welcome Jenna. Thank you Jude, thanks for having me. Thank you for for being here to share with us not only your personal journey which I guess really highlighted to you problems within the current healthcare system um, around maternity and perinatal services. But also we'll go into a little bit later, like what support you have dedicated your career to providing in response to that. Um, can you, let's let's start by by exploring your personal journey. Can you share with us what happened to you and, and, and what really um came through all of this all of that experience for you yeah definitely I think um whilst the sort of historical perspective for psychology was to be like a blank slate and to you know not um sort of share your story and whilst I obviously would not be making it about me and sharing it in the therapy room I think it's really helpful um to sort of situate you know, explain my journey and also situate myself in terms of my experiences, because often people want to work with someone who's maybe had similar experiences who can understand at that level. So, yeah, I'm happy to to share a very uh, condensed version, I guess, because I'm now a mum of two. But the journey to get there was, um, you know, not straightforward, which I think is usually everyone's expectation and not often um, the reality. So, um, yeah, so I got married in 2016 and, you know, had it all planned out, like I think most people do, what would be next would be babies. And it took us a good long while to conceive. And we actually started on the um, sort of fertility treadmill to try, you know, get getting tested. And we were um, and I think that this, this does happen. So it was unexplained primary infertility. And we were we received our clinic letter for our first IVF appointment on the same day we had a positive pregnancy test, um, sort of nearly two years later. Um, and so, you know, we were very lucky to have conceived naturally. Um, and first pregnancy, you know, relatively straightforward, very very happy, but also navigating the sort of pregnancy after fertility anxiety and yeah, the, the waiting and all of that. Um, had a relatively medicalized first birth experience. So I was induced um, due to um, sort of prolonged rupture of membranes would be the term. So my waters had gone and labor hadn't started and I had a normal vaginal delivery um I was sort of coerced into taking some pain medication 
during coerced with kindness, I would say, into taking some medication, um, which does cross the placenta to baby. And that is one of the guilts that I've sort of worked through. Um, but generally speaking, we came out of it relatively unscathed. Um, and then, you know, being dropped swiftly into motherhood with you know, supportive family, supportive friends, supportive husband, but just that whole, yeah, contest, that whole comparison, all of the things that are really sort of unhelpful for people in that transition. Um, and so, yeah, so, so I've navigated that in the way that most people do, I guess, um, you know, trying to be mindful as a psychologist, I guess I had the benefit of sort of stepping back a bit um, and trying to be mindful of that. Um, and then because it took us so long to con conceive our first baby, um, we decided to start trying when our baby was one because it was like, okay, it, this could be a long, a long old time. And actually fell pregnant the first month of trying, which was just incredible to us. Um, but then found out there was something, again, this is this whole intuition bit. There was something in me that said that there was something wasn't right. And so we had an early scan and found out that it was twins so from the private scan it was twins but both of them had had not grown past um six to seven weeks so we were sort of about nine weeks nine weeks pregnant at the time um and then I I went into NHS care to manage the missed miscarriage and that's when the biggest sort of challenge for us in terms of not being listened to, not being trusted or respected. Um, in terms of what we said about when we conceived versus what the scans and the numbers said, and just the real lack of recognition that actually this is our experience and this could be potentially traumatising for us and that that made that whole experience more difficult than it needed to be. Um, and also that, you know, there's just a distinct lack of emotional support around around baby loss um and yes and that was sort of just before covid um so we sort of yeah came out of the hospital and then covid um hit um and then you know luckily a few months later we conceived again and having had all of these experiences in the hospital of a of a medicalized birth that i for my opinion was unnecessary and the lack of care um, and lack of respect around our miscarriage, I decided I wanted a home birth for my second baby. And I had a wonderful, beautiful, completely physiological home birth. Um, I mean, I did have midwives there from the NHS who did touch me in terms of taking my blood pressure on my wrist. But other than that, there was no interference with the birth process whatsoever no vaginal examinations and my labour was about five hours from start to finish and my £10.11 baby was born at home in the birth pool and all was well. Um, yeah, which which raises eyebrows and shocks people, but actually it shouldn't be that shocking, but it is. And that's why, that's because of where we find ourselves with maternity care. Um, so, yeah. And you you say you know your experiences have informed your your you inform your practice how do they inform your practice because what i'm what i'm hearing what i'm hearing from you is that you know you had a fairly straightforward first 
birth in hospital, therefore medicalized, following a hospital procedure, following advice given by medical staff, mm-hmm. um, with no major complications, healthy mother, healthy baby. It was the problems really started with a lack of emotional framework and understanding within of the miscarriage and the and the and the, mm. the toll that really takes. I think that was the big that was the big pivot really. Um I knew that I I knew I hadn't after my birth, first birth, I knew that it could have been different. So I didn't, I held a little bit, I held, like I said, some guilt around, you know, the fact that I felt coerced into medication. And I was like, they said it was going to be ages and that's why I'd need it because I wouldn't be able to cope. And my worst fear was a cesarean. So I accepted it. And actually baby was not ages. And I, in hindsight, I think I could have done it without diamorphine. Like, um, and so it sort of was just, you know, reflecting on that experience. And that's when I I booked my hypnobirthing training when as I was sort of in postpartum and I was sort of reflecting on our experience. Um and then the the care around this and, and so it was always thinking about birth and perinatal and the transformation um of becoming a parent, given that we'd had like the difficulty trying to conceive, but then it was definitely the real like lack of care and lack of respect for what I was saying as a person um that really pivoted me into thinking actually this is this is not just not good enough this is actually causing harm so tell me what what do you find was it in hindsight um you know, not just not good enough, actually harmful for you. And for so um, many women, because as you say, yeah. you are not alone. And I've actually spoken to um, uh, Zoe Gardner on this podcast, who runs a advocacy group um, sharing mothers' stories, very similar to your own. So this is a, 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 a real problem many women feel Mm -hmm. disempowered in the medicalized system and um, have some regrets have some traumas about the way that they had birthed their their children and we yeah I'm certainly personally very intrigued by by those who have I would say courage to to deliver out with that system and I love hearing empowering stories because this is not just um, a physiological process although obviously it is as we were talking um, just briefly before we hit record it's such a transcendent um, Mm -hmm. transition for for, uh, a woman and her baby and I guess I am personally really interested in how we can get in touch a bit more with that side of things so tell me from your experience, what what felt harmful? What felt harmful? Um, I guess in my experience, um, with my with my first birth, um, it was the um the the assumption that was made that because I was a first time mother, you know, all of the 
generalizations about what pregnancies look like so and what births look like and and anticipating not risk because it's not necessarily risk but just it's the tick box sense of not actually listening or being with the person not really understanding how the person feels more about this is what we know and and that's the same as when people are saying that they're you know, present. We've seen videos of people presenting to the reception and saying, "I think my baby's going to come soon." And they're like, "Well, you're a first-time mom; it's going to be ages yet." Or, you know, you don't look like you're about to give birth, and actually not trusting what the person's saying. And then the person gives birth in the corridor twenty minutes later because the midwife assumed that they knew best. So it's just the not listening or respecting the person, and you know so many stories so um how they how they do their job is very procedural and we're missing things so it's just the focus on numbers that I think is really harmful and just not just a complete disconnect from the person that's in front of you and people find that in terms of what then happens in terms of their actual care And the fact that when we start to see people as numbers or start to disconnect from the person in front of us, of course, we're missing the emotional needs. Of course, we're not connecting to them on a human to human level. Yeah, we're saying, well, you had a major hemorrhage and we saved your life, so you should be grateful. And and those words do happen. And that is a lot of the invalidation afterwards is, is a huge part of the harm. And that's that's what I see. And what feels harmful about that, I'm really getting the sense, is like the the, the there's a lack of um yeah. relationship, trust, emotional connection mm-hmm. between the practitioner and the patient that it sets it sets both up to fail, really. Um, because one of the primal kind of conditions for a smooth birth must be a feeling of safety um, exactly. a deep primal feeling of safety and and if the relationship between doctor practitioner midwife um does not cultivate that or prioritize that or name that or acknowledge that there's a huge missing piece within that room within that mm-hmm. within that space that then um I guess multiple things can go downstream wrong. Yeah, in terms of the physiological process of birth and in terms of the emotional impact of the experience, definitely. And yeah. I think what we need to acknowledge is that when we're talking about safety, we're talking about physiological safety in the person's body, in terms of their hormones, in terms of the birth process. But actually safety, when you t- use the word and you use it in f- to medical professionals, to policymakers to the, the, the idea it's a completely different language the, the word means something completely different and when you said you know the, the drive to you know have as many healthy babies as possible that's this that's the benchmark of safety from from their perspective and that's their truth and that's their you know that's the way that the system operates um, and whilst of course that is really important if that's the only measure of safety, then there's a whole load of harm coming to other people who are not feeling safe based on the other definition of safety. Um, and, you know, times when things actually go wrong because of a lack of 
physiological and psychological safety. There are things, there are medical emergencies, there are, there's emotional interference, there's all sorts of different things that, you know, we can't predict everything, but we can understand and prepare for making decisions based on when things may deviate from our preferred options. And I guess optimise the conditions for the best possible outcomes. Yes. I just want to highlight, you know, this concept of risk. It's really difficult to communicate risk. It's really difficult to understand risk. It's really difficult to individualise risk. Yes. And these are, it's, you know, it's, it's very difficult. And ultimately, the medical system, when they're under the care of the hospital is responsible as in like they have liability for Mm -hmm. the for the process so it's such a tricky such a tricky um dynamic that goes Mm -hmm. on in these in these spaces and I think we are moving nudging the needle ever further into more more sort of less paternalistic um, in concept, but I do really know um, that we're not there, that we're not there yet to allow women to feel as empowered as they, as they, as they could do. And I think that that does have um, some, I think that that does come down to some, in some way, the, the overall responsibility being left with the medical team. Um for 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 an unborn baby but yes yeah so I had to sign a form when I had a home birth for example so my most most I I don't know the figures but a lot of home births are deemed to be outside of guidelines so there's various risk factors which are like you say sort of demographic or population or characteristic based because you know having the time and the resources to be able to individualize risk is is nigh on impossible obviously I I feel very strongly that there are ways in which the system could present things in a more um objective way uh when they're talking about risk or when they're suggesting things but generally speaking I get that there are there's a huge limitation there but yes I had to sign a form to say that I was birthing outside of guidelines so I was going against medical advice basically to to birth and I'm fine with that like I understand that that's that, that what they have to do to cover themselves and I was happy with the risks um and I do want to acknowledge the privilege um around being a, a white well-educated woman in particularly in my second pregnancy as well because they tend to trust people more in their second pregnancies um it's like there's a whole thing around the um, the untested cervix or the untested pelvis, um, this sort of thing around the narrative around first time um, pregnant people. But yeah, so um, I was happy with that risk and I didn't have to put up too much of a fight. And I recognise there was there's privilege sort of weave within that too. Um, Mm-hmm. It's come back to what you say about personal responsibility. I think when there is a personal responsibility for for the choices that are made, that really changes the the that that really changes the dynamic, um, mm-hmm. and can allow um, sort of a more empowered um, 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 process. But uh, you know, fundamentally, this all stems from the medicalization of birth that has mm-hmm. 
that started a, 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 a long a long time ago and women at the moment are struggling to take the power back um, mm-hmm. from this power dynamic that's been set set up and and as you say I know that you are not by any means the only in fact you're one of many women who are standing up and 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 um, advocating for for a more empowered less medicalized less interventioned um birthing process and we have to acknowledge that there um have been a lot of advances um, and lots of premature babies and lots of complicated pregnancies that have been delivered from the medical yes. system that would have otherwise yeah. not survived. So it's a complex and nuanced area, um, but does needs yeah does does need attention because there are many women who feel they've been harmed um, mm. by the system. That and I think can I just speak to the them and us thing that you referenced a while ago and you know the people who. So, uh, so what we tend to see in terms of when things go wrong is that it's either a case of too much too soon or too little too late. And what we know is obviously there are whole societal issues with us being disconnected from our bodies, which is not about blaming any individual. That is just the where we are, which I know you'll 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 be there on that one. Um, but when we are supported to, to connect into our bodies rather than to hand over and be told by a screen or a number that everything's okay um yes that that sort of sets up that imbalance and that power shift to the 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 medics being responsible for telling us everything's okay but actually when we really listen to the person um the that's that also prevents the too little too late but basically the too little too late is also about not be, not being listened to mm. and not being yeah not having that connection um and I hear that too I hear that too I hear the too much too soon and I hear the too little too late and both of them cause harm but from a position of sort of litigation and risk doing something is always seen as doing better than nothing and it's more defensible so actually the focus becomes on the too little too late cases which are you know completely valid and tragic and horrendous and so that means that the too much too soon increases and the medicalization increases and that's where we find ourselves now um and that's why we find this battle between people who are saying they're not saying there should be no interventions in birth they're saying there should be proportionate approach intervention in birth at the right time and then the people who are very pro-medicalization of birth um who think that the more medicalization is the better because then we're not going to get the too little too late and obviously that's influenced on people's individual experiences and traumas and losses and of course they're going to hold those positions very very strongly when i'm coming at it even though i have had the too much too soon medicalized birth i'm not coming at it from a position of that is more important and coming at it from a, this is what I see in my work all the time. And actually, I think that if the needle shifted a little bit more to um, away from the too much too soon, there would be more resources for the too little too late. So because we're inducing people for very spurious reasons um, and that takes up beds and that takes up time and that takes up staff. And actually, it's not a when you zoom out a bit and if you can sort of because I didn't have a traumatic birth so I'm not I'm not coming at this from a position of trauma um 
and I, I hope that 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 comes across but you know when people are the passion behind that is really hard to to separate out and um yeah it's about seeing that actually it's not it all interlinks and actually the listening is important the balance is important and actually if we're doing less unnecessary interventions that creates more space and capacity for the necessary ones so actually we I know there's there's so many reasons in terms of psychology and uh, yet the rest of it in terms of why we split into us and them and 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 all of that but actually zoom out a bit and we but we all want the same thing we want appropriate interventions at the right time but it's just having bad impacts on both ends of the scale mm-hmm. I really see that I really see that and I really I really um acknowledge that that goes on um mm-hmm. because of the dynamics around litigation leaving mm-hmm. Um, it is seen to be better to do too much too soon mm-hmm. rather than leave too little too and too late and that's not necessarily the best thing overall um, mm-hmm. and yet we're but again if we're not being with the and I know it's hard to like we talk about individualised risk but if you're being with the person in that moment in that care experience that also means that we don't have to even think about the too much too soon too little late because we're in the moment with the person in the room and we're truly listening and we're truly connected and but again medical professionals and maternity professionals who are overworked overburdened and fearful and operating potentially from trauma also vicarious trauma they're going to be influenced by fear much more than they are and that leads to disconnection much more than we would want them to be. Um, so this is not, again, I really don't ascribe to a blame. Like an, I don't blame any one group of people or any one person. I blame the, the, the sort of culmination, like the system is bigger than the sum of the parts and it, it, it sort of has a life of its own. So, um, and I hope that that comes across. Um, yeah, I hear that. In how I I hear that. I hear that, and actually, I think it's it, it comes it comes across as is is very balanced and comes across as um very considered, and also I'm sort of left thinking how do we how, yeah. how do we do that because I think that's why like um the presence of doulas is increasing. I think that's um that um I think building relationships with um patients before um before birth really getting to know them understand mm-hmm. them um for them to 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 build trust within themselves again with the help of a doula prior to prepare them to empower them to strengthen their resolve their spirit their emotional um resilience all of that prior to to birth can can really help how do you work with clients um, to prepare them and um, from a psychological standpoint for birth what would be if someone was listening to this and is in the perinatal antenatal um period how w- can you give me sort of five top tips you would give um uh, a client you were working with to prepare themselves for having a a, a safe and uh right birth for for them mm-hmm that's their choice but I think what I tend to find is so I tend to work in terms of birth preparation and hypnobirthing with people who've had a previous traumatic birth obviously with me being a a perinatal psychologist and we sort of tend to look at what happened so we'll we'll sort of birth debrief we may do some trauma 
trauma work around it. Um, and we'll look at what is the trauma response and how is that influencing how they're preparing for birth. Generally, they wouldn't see me if they were in complete avoidance because um, they wouldn't see me because they're avoiding. Um, but yeah, let's think about sort of how trauma showed up in their previous birth, how what their trauma response is telling them to do. And sometimes it's about either not avoiding hospital if the trauma was in a hospital last time or um, going into fight mode and trying to prepare for every single eventuality. So being like heavily research driven and wanting to know the answers to everything just in, so they can plan. And actually we need a bit of flexibility in there. It needs to be more balanced. So we we can't be thinking about, we, we need to deal with the fact that actually if you, if you don't want to say no to hospital under all circumstances, which I don't know whether it would actually wash if you were unconscious because people may do something different. Um, but yeah, if you are thinking that actually if I need to go to hospital for my safety, I'm going to go, but I don't want to think about it, then we need to work on that avoidance. And we also need to work on the psychological flexibility um, and sort of turning down that fight mode because you cannot plan for everything. So it's usually about, again, finding balance. I mean, one of the sort of biggest things that the biggest sort of therapy models that I use in pregnancy and in trying to conceive as well because there's a lot of uncertainty or there's more uncertainty than we can tolerate as a as a society where we can understand things at the click of a button um it's acceptance and commitment therapy so it's accepting that there is uncertainty but committing to do the things that are helpful for you right now and controlling the things you can um and being and having that psychological flexibility to understand that you've got resources that you can use even if those things happen um so yeah so that's a very long-winded answer to the birth prep question but um so yeah that's what that's what I tend to see. But, and before that was my sort of general tips. Mm, mm. It's comprehensive. And I think it's a lot of work and some people don't, don't want to do that work or, you know, obviously also acknowledging the privilege that um, whilst there's so much stuff that's free, that can be a bit of a minefield. So there are, there is some privilege attached to sort of doing a lot of birth prep or birth prep in a very sort of measured and specific way that someone can sort of walk you and talk you through it all um but there's so much free out there now as well you see it's a bit of a minefield so what where would you point people to if they didn't have the resources for, for example to work one-to-one um with a specialized uh, perinatal psychologist as an example I know you do and have a lot of free resources that you can point people to. Where would you recommend people turn for um, some trustworthy, supportive um, advice that they may be seeking? Um, In terms of being pregnant and thinking about preparing for birth, there are now, obviously, with the advancements in our digital uh, technology, there are digital packs and online courses that are, you know, not as individualized, but are sort of really comprehensive and robust. Um, so just a couple of the companies that I can recommend in my private practice capacity. Um, so Birth Ed, um, which is run by Megan Rossiter, is a very accessible and well thought of um, antenatal education package. And um, also the Birth Uprising, which um, who have a digital pack. Um, 
and they also offer the sort of comprehensive one-to-one and they they train people um in their approach um and a bit of a disclaimer on the birth uh uprising it's it can be sweary they're very you know again the thing is with hypnobirthing and birth education and with therapists you'll not like everyone and you're not like everyone's approach so you know finding someone for you but in terms of having maybe one birth ed and the birth uprising I know that they both do digital packs and I know that they're well regarded and well thought of and you know if I was to need if I was in the position where I was giving birth again and I wanted a digital product they're the two that I would probably look at um yeah and they are sort of I don't know maybe 30 or 40 pounds I think which um still might not be accessible for everybody but then also um lots of People will do will do taste at free tasters, free masterclasses, and um, yeah, like obviously also social media content. There's, but again, it's having the time to pick through it all um, that that makes it a little bit more burdensome. Mm, mm, mm. And we haven't actually spoken at all about the postnatal period, yes. which for me, um, I've actually been quite shocked. So. Mm. I'm curious around what issues you commonly see and how you um, recommend what what you can recommend to 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 young families, to new mothers who find themselves in quite precarious situations and mm. through many gaps. Yeah, I think the the reason why we've probably spent so much time talking about pregnancy and birth is because I think that the journey sets people up for for the type of experience they might have postpartum um, in terms of the the impact of a traumatic birth or the impact of um, having a lot of care in pregnancy and birth and the real drop-off in postpartum. And it is so stark. It is so stark. Um, What I tend to see is people, if so if there's a traumatic birth, um or trauma in the perinatal period so we also know that there's certain or you know sort of the perinatal period uh there are certain experiences that mean um that it's more likely to impact postnatal mental health so um a hyperemesis gravidarum pregnancy you are 10 times more likely to develop ptsd than someone who has a, a low risk um pregnancy but actually from a psychological perspective i see people who may have been may have had those experiences or had some some difficult experiences in their perinatal journey and then they're in their postnatal period and the way in which they access um, or try and access emotional um, well-being or mental health support is through primary care where um, for, for good reason the focus is on postnatal depression and you know that you know care around postnatal depression needs to be improved there's lots that I could say about how we could do things that would probably prevent the development of postnatal care. One of them being the drop off the face of the cliff support for new for new mothers and families. Um, and a lot of the work that I would do is people who've attracted diagnosis of postnatal anxiety or depression, but actually there's a trauma underlying it. So we would end up doing trauma work anyway. One of the big, big, big things that I see for people who've been diagnosed with postnatal depression or anxiety is people who were successful driven and in control of their life um before baby and um you know so achieving comfortable affluent mid-30s generally and then and obviously I recognize that 
that population will be skewed by the fact that they have the resources to pay for private therapy. Um, but this is my experience. Um, and then they've had a pregnancy and maybe a difficult birth, maybe, you know, maybe not um, a trauma from an obvious perspective to other people. But what we know about trauma is it's not what happened. It's how you felt. And sometimes not a difficult birth or traumatic birth, but they'll go into postpartum and be for the first time in their life or for the first time in a long time, have no idea what they're doing, have no idea how to meet their baby's needs. And there's this idea that if your baby baby cries, that's not normal. Or if they need to be attached to you 24-7, that's not normal. So you lose your autonomy, you lose your sense of achievement and success because you're doing something that's new. And But everyone expects that you should know what you're doing even though they say, oh, there's no handbook and, you know, everyone muddles through, there's an expectation from society that we should, it should be an instant thing and we should get it right. And if we're not getting it right, that's a bad thing and we're a bad mother. People are, for the first time in their life, feeling incompetent. And that's not because they are incompetent, but that's because of the ideas that we've been sold about what being a good mother is and seeing on social media that everyone else seems to have it together and know what they're doing but that's obviously a snapshot and the highlight reel that like we say um and yet yeah, and just feeling like I can't do this or you know I've I'm never gonna be able to do this um and sometimes like I said that's amplified by a difficult or traumatic birth um and the real shift in People, you know, being very kind and, you know, oh, you know, all lovely in pregnancy and and present and then not being present in postpartum. And not that people need to be overwhelmed with visitors in postpartum, because that's another thing that means people feel like they need to put on a show. But the real sort of lack of holding of new mothers in that period to so that their focus is on the baby and it doesn't have to be on make getting the food shop done or going to the baby groups if they don't want to or yeah eat you know preparing food for everybody it's you know we in the west we have a very different um or well I say lack of respect for the postpartum period compared to sort of eastern traditions um and you know now for the people that can afford it I read something not that long ago about um I think it was in New York like a hotel like a postpartum hotel that would that mirrored the sort of confinement period that we would see in sort of Eastern culture, where but obviously it was the complete consumerist luxury version of that with massages and you know, but you know, pelvic health specialists and you know, doctors and nutritionists and you know, all the stuff that it would be great if we all had access to or attention paid to. Um, but yeah, it's that drop-off and it's that stark contrast to feeling very successful and like you know what you're doing and then feeling like you don't and that's a reflection on who you are as a mother or who you are as a person rather than a reflection of the fact that we're not honest um, about our experiences because of that level of judgment that we anticipate and also this unrealistic ridiculous contradictory idea of what being a perfect perfect mother is where they say you um, you should know what you're doing and yeah, your but your baby should separate from you straight away and sleep through the night. And if you don't, it's because you've done something wrong or you've got a bad one. When actually, all of it 
I guess, again, is a lack of understanding of normal infant behaviour and a lack of respect for that as well, which obviously has been capitalised on by people who want to make money out of selling sleep aids and the rest of it. But again, it could go on. There's so many issues that are not about individual people, but that are about the society and how it settles up to perceive things in a particular way and to judge ourselves in a particular way. Um, And people come to that point where they've got a real you know they've gone from being successful and having lots of external validation to being a new parent and having no external validation because the expectations are ridiculous and if we haven't as a person developed that internal validation and that that sort of self-assurance or we don't have people around us who can tell us what a good job we're doing you know of course we're going to be low of course we're going to struggle um I try and do I try and do lots of things through my work and I, I am very I try to be preventative and proactive and one of the things that I find is that if someone is sort of pregnant again after a previous so it's a subsequent pregnancy and they previously experienced or were labeled as experiencing postnatal depression um what tends to happen is like there's an there's a note on their file say oh well because they had postnatal depression last time they're more at risk of having it again and I'm like well And so it's like, let's keep an eye on them in case they develop it. And I'm thinking, well, let's maybe think about what was going on for them at that point. And if there's anything we can change to try and reduce the risk of that happening rather than just. And I think that's what the system tends to tends to misconceptualize around trauma informed care, trauma informed care um, or, you know, mental mental health awareness is about supporting people who've been through it and recognizing them and actually no, it's about recognizing what we can do to prevent it in the first place or to prevent it from happening again or not actively participate in anything that's going to contribute to it um so I think it's about what can be done if if someone has, has, has had that experience previously um lots of people tend to think well this is what I want to be different um but as professionals if they don't see that or they don't haven't recognized that or they're not sure or they are very sort of wedded to the idea of of a medical label medical model of diagnosis I would still be thinking about what is it that we can do that should reduce those feelings because obviously we would explore under the postnatal depression how did you feel about yourself how were you feeling about the time and you know even from like a traditional CBT perspective what were the cognitions but I wouldn't be saying let's change those cognitions I'd be saying let's change the things that were contributing to those cognitions in the first place and maybe that's about um challenging this idea of the perfect mother and comparison or maybe it's about feeling like a failure and the fact that actually we're all failing because we're being failed we're not failing, we're being failed by the support that's afforded. So, um, yeah, so now in perinatal mental health services um, and, you know, other sort of services, we are employing, um, we're still very medicalised, but we're employing people like nursery nurses and support workers and peer support workers to to be there in the postpartum period for people who who've maybe struggled previously. But if it was someone who's maybe not been in those services or a first time mum who finds their experience in postnatal depression, I would definitely be um, sort of talking to people about how you're feeling because we hide everything from each other and think that we're the only person going through it. Um, and that's very rarely the case because we know the prevalence of, of these labels that are created by these experiences of distress and disconnection. Um, yeah, so talk to people that you trust ask for help like 
my that my bottom line would be you can't do it all and I think I struggled more so in my first pregnancy with um in my first postpartum not being the one to do everything for the baby so I was breastfeeding and it was like I do it the best and they need me anyway because of breastfeeding so I'm going to do everything but of luckily I had people who would do the cooking and take care of the house and I can't because you can't do all of it um and then in my second with two children I had to split myself so my I lowered my standards I lowered my expectations but not in a way that you would perceive that as a negative I became more realistic I became much more realistic in and I think that often it's about what is realistic here and yeah so challenging those narratives and those ideas um but of course in terms of if anyone feels like they're really struggling and really um need help because they don't feel safe or they feel they're having some really scary dark or difficult thoughts um obviously gp samaritans pandas i'm doing the the usual thing that you would do but um some because some people won't listen to this conversation or have it until they're in the depths or have this information until they're in the depths of it so you know yeah it is it doesn't have to be this way and it can get better um and I think it's really important to say that because again going back to the figures the leading cause of the direct cause of maternal death in the first year postpartum is suicide I hadn't realised that, quite honestly. I probably got the terminology wrong because, you know, they're very specific in the research. Um, but we can, you know, put put the research study in the show notes maybe. But, yeah, the um, the direct cause of, of sort of death is, is suicide. And that's not changed for a good number of years now. Mm. And as a pragmatist, when we think about the medical model and what's currently happening when someone experiences postnatal depression, I'm very much pragma- pragmatist. And rather than being concerned with truths and objective realities like do does this exist in the brain? Does this exist? I just think what I take from it is is the current system around maternity care and perinatal mental health effective at reducing these experiences and that's what I take as as my measurement of truth and my measurement of are we on the right track or not and we're not clearly we're not um so that's where where I see that actually we really need to change things and we need to be responsible we need to be yeah less individualized more community and collective in our approaches to supporting people through this, like you said, spiritual transcendent, it's like the biggest transformation from an identity perspective, from a hormonal perspective, from a relationship perspective. I really don't think body perspective. A, I don't think people pay enough attention to the impact. Like in terms of birth prep, people prepare for the baby, prepare for the birth itself, and prepare prepare for the baby coming home. But people don't prepare their relationship for those shifts, and that can be huge. Like, I think it's an underestimated aspect as well. Like going from partners to parents, if you're in a in a in a partnership relationship, as you welcome your baby to the world, it's really can be like huge. Mm. So everything changes and mm. we don't respect that. We don't acknowledge that. We don't care and support people enough who are in that. And that is how I see us reducing these experiences 
you mentioned um, in the previous section um, a couple of digital packs that help people prepare for pregnancy, for birth. Are there similar products that you would recommend or direct people to to prepare them for the postpartum period? Yeah, so I think now hypnobirthing and antenatal education is paying more attention to that. Um, so I think I think at least one of those two, maybe both, do have like a module on postnatal. Um, it's becoming much more recognised that we need to stretch out to to include that. Um, in terms of sort of preparing the relationship, um, so someone who has a lot of free content on how relationships change after having a baby is Illy Morrison, who's a midwife turned birth trauma specialist. She, um, she talks a lot about it and she has like relationship cards, conversation starters for relationships. Um, I actually do, because I recognized some of those themes in my postnatal clients around the change in the relationship, I do offer, um, like a pre and post, um, sort of, facilitated therapeutic space for people to come together to plan for their postpartum period as a couple and then to reflect sort of maybe eight to 12 weeks into postpartum reflect on what's been going well what's not been going well so it's not couples therapy so to speak um but it's um yeah like it's you know time and space to think about that and you know I've most often again maybe because I'm a psychologist um and that's sort of where people find me it's usually people who are pregnant again and they've had maybe a difficult postpartum experience that have come to see me for that, that I offer. Um, but I think it's really important and it's something that we don't do enough of. Um, and that's specifically around, well, it's around everything, but a lot of it is around, around the relationships, around, you know, boundaries and communication and forgiveness and what's important and values and all of those things that, you know, we want to be working together well and connecting together um because if we're not you know of course we're going to experience more likely to experience some of those postnatal mental health difficulties mm-hmm. yeah which are not just mental health difficulties or emotional health difficulties like I think the yes. terminology around the terminology. mental health can just be so I don't know if it's stigmatizing if it's just you know it's a bit reductionist isn't it? it's a bit reductionist it's you, yeah. you know it's a spectrum um, and actually it's about being emotionally and psychologically well um and preserving that and minimizing the impact you know it's going to challenge it's a tra- it's a challenge it's a change it's going to challenge humans hate change um but actually it's about yeah sort of working with that understanding that and, and respecting it and mm. preparing mm. that can go such a long way um I'm sure that I can go such a long way I love the idea of that I love the idea of that me and my partner um have you know, quarterly reviews and monthly checks. Yes, I saw them and I was like, that's, that's <laughs> such a good idea. Yeah, we find that really useful. So I can, I can really imagine like for, for, for myself, like that would be such something that I would be really um, excited to explore because, yeah, I can't imagine or, or I'm told by so many of my peers and friends that there's huge shifts and even what you thought would um transpire from the relationship po- uh, um, post baby but just yeah um I think uh seems to differ from reality quite some quite by quite some way in in many instances so now what 
I guess we'll just, we're coming to a close for this conversation. Is there is there a is there a is there anything that you would like to is there a message that you would you know like to emphasize or make sure um is communicated as we draw this conversation to a close because we've covered uh, a, a a a lot um about the antenatal birth and postnatal periods and the gaps in the services that we currently have which are doing harm to um young young families at a time mm. where um they really need our support and our meaning the medical system society friends and family um that surround our young our young families and it's not only for the good of them it's for the good of the next generation as well the more we can look after our young parents the more able they're look, able to look after and be there for mm. um their children and 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 that's our that's our um our new generation so yeah i think we're currently doing them a disservice and i really thank you for highlighting um highlighting those gaps because you're speaking on behalf of a lot of women who are um are who are coming together and and making their voices heard and that's and and services private services are beginning to to sprout up because of the demand for them yeah. and this has got to say something to those of us who are providing the the mainstream standard care that there are gaps within that that we need to be looking at because we're failing too many women and young families so what would is there anything that you want to emphasize in in our closing um uh I always find this bit difficult because as you can tell there's so much (laughs) and we could have spoken for so much longer but I think that what I want people to just really recognize so that whether you're a provider or whether you're a, a person in the perinatal period, like, are you listening or are you being listened to? Like, where can you get that? Because that's important. And are, are we respecting this period of time and everything that's in it? Like, respecting that actually we cannot know everything, we cannot control everything, and it cannot be fully measured or managed and we need to be widening widening the lens on just the yeah the respect and the care and the support in this sort of period of life um yeah I just think it's about listening and respecting at the core of it which you know is is core to my work as a psychologist in terms of in the therapy room listening and respecting and then when I hear that that's not happening and I hear the stories it's just so difficult um so I just want people to be taking steps back whether they're the listener or the listenee and just really thinking about that connection and if you're in the system and you're working in the system and struggling know that you do have power you have power in your individual experience with the person that you're working with and when I hear the stories of when it's gone well or when people have been supported and validated through those difficult experiences, it it makes the world of difference. So actually, even if you're working in a system that feels broken and stretched, or even if you're entering that, you if you make that human connection and you listen and you be with the person going through what they're going through, like it has much more impact than you could ever imagine. It's so worthwhile. 
Yeah, and I think as a provider myself, um, you can feel the difference when you are able to be present and connect. And I have to say, sometimes you feel resourced to do that. Sometimes you don't. Um, mm. And I would encourage anyone to um, take as much time as they're able to fill their own cup so that they are able yeah. to to offer um that human to human um connection especially mm. in something as traumatic as 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 as, as emotive as as um mm. as someone going through um the perinatal period so it does make a huge difference i think as a provider you can feel that yourself um and it makes the world of difference to to that to whom you're providing care to so i love that as a as a closing message thank you so much for all the work that you do um for these people who desperately need it um to empower them to support them um and to allow them to increase their tolerance for uncertainty which mm-hmm. will carry through their whole journey of parenting yes, <laughs> <laughs> because um yeah that that's that's part of the of the deal yeah. and um is is uh can be I'm sure it's a good start isn't it insanely challenging yeah 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 so thank you so much for the work that you're doing um Dr Jenna and um yeah I look forward to speaking to you again thank you Dr Jude thank you for having me thank you for listening body mind soul seekers if you want to connect with trusted alternative therapists learn more about what they do and how they can help you check out my new holistic healthcare platform the witchy women or if you are a holistic healer that wants to serve and help more people book in a discovery call with me find more details at thewitchywomen.com to show your support for this podcast please share it with a friend or leave a review on itunes or wherever you get your podcast it really does make a difference thank you all so much until next time